In my life, I have promi made promises in sickness and in health. And today I keep that promise to you, dear listeners. This is Replacement Love and Morality. What's your name? My name's Andrew. My name's Joseph. You almost <laughs> did it. You almost did it. You don't have the practice yet. You don't no, have the practice that's, yet. that's the first one. That's good, first though. Second. It was a good first one. I'm glad that you had a, a, a little snappy saying there to start us off. I'm glad that you've gotten into the into the swing of things. Speaking of the swing of things, thank you to all of our listeners who have endured our, our unscheduled quiet season during uh, the holidays. We intended actually to do one more episode before we went dark, but uh, holiday travel being what it is, we couldn't quite uh, get together. But we're here now, and we thought, what better topic than to discuss just COVID as a event and also trying to look into the future of, in 2023 of what's going to happen, not with COVID itself as a disease. I think we're pretty clear now on where that's going to take us, what that is, but the COVID regimes that are still in place, the politics of COVID, um, the repercussions, the origins, there's so there's so much still after three years that is unresolved with what I believe is going to be the biggest event to ever occur in the lifetimes of everyone who lived through it. And bet. I, I think that an hour that's an hour's worth of conversation for the two of us. What do you think, Andrew? I think it's an hour's worth of conversation. I was just I don't think it'll be the biggest event of our lifetime. You think so there's gonna be something bigger than COVID that comes along? I, I don't like that, but you're probably <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't want that to be true. We've got a lot of years left, and people have this strange habit of forgetting that war is really bad every 50 years or so, and so we keep doing it. So, you know, We've had a pretty good run with, with no major wars. We have. Know, and, and then we've got this Ukraine thing going on, sort of reminding us how terrible it is. So part of the reason we want to do this, of course, is, Andrew, you literally have COVID right now. Uh, maybe. I think it's out, probably out of my system. I just have a lingering little cough and sore throat. What was it at its worst? Was it like 80% of a cold? 90% of a cold? It was more than that. I had a fever and chills for probably eight hours. Ouch, so it was eight like, hours? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then a lot of just, man, this, this cold sh sure is persistent. And won't go away. I think that's the first thing I want to talk about. There seems to be an unwillingness to discuss that for the vast, 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 vast majority of people who have gotten COVID over the last 12 months, that it has been a nuisance disease that is in some cases subclinical, let alone debilitating. And there's been a a resistance, I think in part, because there are outlier cases, there's circumstances where it is severe, particularly for people who are vulnerable to a respiratory disease, and it feels maybe gauche to say, like, you know, sorry, that was really bad for this one person, but for very nearly everyone else, it's it's not a severe illness anymore. It's mutated into something quite uh, really kind of like at a level of the common cold 
maybe a little elevated, but less than the flu. But that's really what it is. That's what it's been for a year. And uh, it seems that only over the last couple months has there been even a desire to acknowledge that reality. I'm, I wonder why that is. it really just we don't want to hurt people's feelings or is there something else there? Over a million dead probably has something to do with it. A million a, dead a, of different versions of it, though. Like, I'm, I'm not talking about the original strain or Delta. I'm talking about what over the last year we've seen, which is a nuisance level disease. The way that COVID ended to the extent that it has... The arguments didn't change on either side. You just kind of gradually felt the weight of the arguments shift away. And part of that was the realization that of until when as, okay, I believe that COVID's bad and we should do a lot to avoid it, but how long? And part of why the arguments just gradually shifted is so many people had it. And when this really isn't worth rearranging our lives around avoiding. <laughs> right. But it's kind of impolitic to say that, but everyone kind of knows it. Why is it impolitic to say that? I guess that's what I'm getting at. It's just so easy for someone to be like, yeah, but my grandma died. And you don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. I don't know about you. You're a little more abrasive than I am. I think that on a personal level, I certainly understand that we all want to have empathy for our fellow man. We all have grandparents or had grandparents and we can understand the fragility that comes with age as a consequence and that there can be bad outcomes to disease. I mean, that's life, right? At some point you're going to feel that either, you know, by proximity or intimately and you don't want to, to put that out there, but at the same time, it's been true for over a year now. Yeah, but like at what point like... is you, at what point is it just okay to say, yeah, like COVID isn't what it used to be. Like, I'm sorry, your grandma died in 2020 when they got the OG strain. That sucks. But that's not what exists anymore. We all need to move on. Well, it's some over. People did. It just depends on the context. I mean, like if we're implicitly talking about arguing on Twitter, that guy's been there since 2020. Um, but some of it's the most people don't think like us. Most people aren't statistically literate. That's not a criticism. That's just how humans are is we think in terms of what can I picture, not how likely are things on a grand scale. Which is why like the classic example is being more afraid of sharks than driving to the beach and driving there was way more dangerous. Uh, that's a good point there. I, I do. I think take for granted that everyone can comprehend real risk the same way that you and I are capable of. And that's probably not true. Yeah. That, have that have shark... we talked about micromorts on this podcast? I don't think we've yet invoked the micromort. Although uh, you discovered it's something someone else already figured out, right? Like, yeah, we discussed micromorts. It's like, is this a thing? Does this exist? If it doesn't, it should. And then it turns out it did. Right. No, Maybe you well, can explain that more. So a micromort is a one in a million chance of dying. A micro one in a million and mortality. Uh, it's a concept that I borrowed from 
insurance, not from work, but some something. It's something that exists as in, in insurance, as if you go scuba diving, that contains eighty micromorts of risk, and actuaries have to know all these things to to price to price the risks. So I was, so my argument for forever has been, we need to make thinking and micromorts the same as thinking in temperature outside. It's that's this activity is 40 micromorts. 40 micromorts is around like going skiing for a day. You can run into a tree happens all the time, but people still do those things. Right. And the individual risk while real is also quite remote. And I would literally, literally 40 in a million. And I would contend, for example, this evening, this very evening here in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I sit, I uh, it is freezing cold. It is like two degrees outside. In fact, I think it's minus two degrees outside, which is abnormal, right? And I went out into my Kia Soul, that is my wife's car, and I drove out to get uh, dinner for, for us and drove back. That was probably riskier than skiing for the day. That was a, a, a it's sexually like in terms of, of micromorts, probably a hundred. Yep. Micromorts for that act alone. Yet. No thought on my part went into like the riskiness of that. Like I'm in imperiling my life in any real way, even though it was probably the riskiest thing I've done all year. Yeah. And COVID in terms of micromorts, when we were calculating, like, what's the real risk of the the reason this came up in our conversation, as I recall, was back in, I think it was October of 2021. You and I went to a big social gathering in Roanoke, Virginia for a shared hobby that we have of playing, I kid you not, competitive magic <laughs> gathering. And we went there and it was still locked very much into the covid panic regime which was you have to have uh your vax card you have to be wearing a mask at all times and there was a real like danger of covid spread attitude about it and you and i sat down and tried to figure out like is there some way we can quantify that the people who drove here incurred more risk in driving than they did from covid and that was really like the and and with, it it turns out that was actually true, that if yeah. you drove the distance that we drove, which was from Cincinnati to Roanoke, Virginia, that act was more uh, had more mortality risk than than, than literally COVID. catching like assuming that you got COVID because you played in this event. Yes, which is a strong assumption. None of us did. Correct. It was still more risky to drive there, and there were people who drove farther who had more concern about COVID and they had no real concept and no real vocabulary for even understanding this personal sense of risk, right? Like that's what amazed us was people within that community who were obsessive about COVID to an insane degree. They wouldn't leave their house and we saw them there and very and before 2020, their primary hobby involved road tripping every weekend. Yeah. So they were constantly on the road, constantly going to these tournaments, but they were super concerned about COVID, did everything in their power to avoid it, you know, to the point where they wouldn't attend this event unless all of these precautions were in place. And then when we saw them there, uh, 
they drove a further distance than we did to get there. And frankly, their personal health had taken a, a nosedive in that that period. Like they looked unwell in terms of their body composition and overall BMI. I mean, you right? made this point very on in the pandemic of what were like the the classic is motorcyclists with a mask. But you pointed out some people that you saw in the grocery store. Oh, like, yeah. The armor. I'm unbelievable scene. I'll never forget this. This was early. This was probably May, April, May of 2020. So this is peak of the panic, right? I'm in a Kroger, right? Gro- grocery store, supermarket, if you're if you're not in Kroger's imprint. And I'm in just the aisles shopping as I do. And there were two people who were in essentially like homemade hazmat suits. I don't know how else to describe it. They were head to toe decked out in plastic covering. Okay. Gloves, all of it, face shields and masks. And they were quite noticeable because they were easily 450, 500 pounds a piece. And they were in scooters and that they were, in this gear as they were loading up their scooters with 12 pack after 12 pack of Mountain Dew. <laughs> and it's like, you don't, you can't shake it once you see that to say, brother in Christ, I think perhaps you have misunderstood the true threat to your health, right? Like now in, in that minute of all the people that should be in a plastic suit, that's probably one of them. Like, correct. And it's not that they, it's, it's not that in, in, in the blind, I can't see like if I were super overweight, I don't want to get COVID because it's certainly like I have a I have a big comorbidity for it and I need to mitigate that risk. It's that they were doing it at the same time as clearly oblivious to their much larger, much more systemic personal health risk of their weight. Right. And it's like, OK, we have lost the plot. That's what I knew. Like. This panic has transcended reason in any circumstance that I can define of, of seeing this happen in real time. But, but your takeaway at the time, which which was correct, was people just don't like confronting their own mortality. So well, they don't have the concept of it, though. You, you, drive, like, you drive every weekend. You, you know, you drive every weekend. It's normal. So you don't you round that risk down to zero. Because you don't want to think about the risk. And that's why my concept of micromorts was get used to, hey, everything that I do has some risk attached. You try to work to mitigate it and control what you can, but you can't you can't eliminate all of it. And it comes down to you still have to do things. That That circumstance in the Kroger was particularly striking to me because it really illustrated to me how normal people can't comprehend their, their actual health risk very well. And that so much of this is driven through messaging and marketing. These two people were in this, in the soft drink aisle of the Kroger, 500 pounds a piece in their scootily, you know, their scootily poots loading it up with Mountain Dew because they were convinced through messaging that COVID was more of a threat to their lives than their BMI. I, I it's like, 
let's be let's be completely real here for our audience. Those two men are going to die. They're going to die early deaths, and it isn't going to be from fucking COVID, right? We know this. Mm-hmm. We know this. And, and what was it today that New York Times released an article saying that uh, it's important to get exercise if you're concerned about COVID? Yeah, which is something like Joe Rogan got made fun of for saying two years ago. You know, like who who said from the early, like, well, if you're healthy, you probably don't have so much to worry about this disease because it tends to affect people who are weak and and ill health worse than people who are in good health. An observation that was manifestly true from the earliest days of the pandemic and that he merely like translated into normal people speak. And for that, he was branded like this anti-science demagogue permanently. I, it, it, perhaps well, let's, let's put that aside for a second. I want to finish sure. my thought when it comes to the Kroger people, because okay. it encapsulates a lot, right? Those two guys did not come to the state of being from their own volition. I don't know them. I didn't have a conversation with them, but I think it's fair to assume that it took environmental circumstances for them to think I'm more at risk from COVID-19 than I am from all of the incorrect choices I am making about the consumption of calories. Right? Like that, 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 that could only have occurred because of the message that was being delivered to them and how it was being delivered to them. And that is, I think the, the real lesson from all of this is this COVID panic, COVID concern, the inability to synthesize micromorts in actual risk and being able to say with a clear voice from the start, if you're older, if you're obese, if you have X, Y, or Z complicating, you know, uh, comorbidity, these are reasons to be concerned about COVID. If you're young, if you're healthy, uh, if you just, if you wish to become more healthy, these are ways in which COVID was unlikely to be a severe illness for you. The fact that that was incapable of being expressed by the media, by the expert class from the start, that has continued to reverberate through the last three three years in a way that has been. And mildly catastrophic for American yeah. society. And it's a subset of a bigger problem where the idea of applying any harm reduction lessons to COVID was unthinkable to a certain class of people. The idea of like, I, I if I get COVID, I want it to be less bad was just not a thing because you weren't allowed to get COVID for those nine months. Only the bad people got COVID. That was bizarre to me who did not live through the AIDS crisis, but totally see how that happened, especially with such a smaller portion of people getting it. But that it was fundamentally an abstinence only approach, which is kind of lifted from a different context, but I think it's accurate. Like we could have had, you could have messaged to people you need to, you should exercise more and you'll be more prepared if you face it or 
you, if you're going to meet with your friend, have a drink on the deck instead of being inside. All, all of these things would have mattered more than you're a bad person because you went to your friend's house to hang out with them. Like, nope, nobody can live like that. <laughs> right. And it was clear that no one could live like that. No, because eventually very few people did. And and the people giving that advice, like Deborah Burks, I flew out to see my grandma because she was feeling lonely. Like, no shit. Everyone's grandma was lonely. That's that's, that's what problem. Them. Yeah. Like, of course they were like you, you ask people to spend two years without seeing anyone else. That's that's not how humans work on a deep level. It's just not. It would have been different, I think, if. The, you know, in and this can kind of start to bring us into the, uh, discussing the expert class as a whole, which I think is another really important topic. Because we're now getting into an era where there are serious questions and potential investigations that are being conducted in regards to the vaccines, which is a very sensitive topic, right? Like this is this is a new frontier. And it's happening because Ron DeSantis wants to be president. Well, I think Ron DeSantis wants to be president, and this is certainly it plays to his his uh, aspirations in a way. But from the start, there were vaccine skeptics who questioned the quick development, the novel technology used to do so. And I think most relevantly. The ignoring of the side effects of the vaccine. Just the minimization and the ignoring of the side effects of the vaccine. And I think we can all say now there were definitely side effects of the vaccine and they were definitely minimized for the purpose of trying to get as many people as possible to simply get it. Yep. And instead of reckoning to that choice to say, yeah, uh, you know, we we thought it was still created the greatest amount of good if the most amount of people got the COVID vaccine because it, it prevented the most amount of human suffering. You know, if you if you create like the the actuarial table of suffering <laughs> that came with COVID, and instead bury your ostrich head in the sand and try not to address the fact that in fact there was myocarditis. That did happen, especially in young males, just as people said from the start. How many people died because they got the COVID vaccine that probably should have been advised not to get it? Not What's that, that many. It's but, like it, it's less than a thousand. But even if it's 500 people, let's say let's say it's half, right? Let's say there's 500 people who died that got the COVID vaccine who are young men who got myocarditis who probably didn't get the need to get the vaccine and got talked into it because of the marketing for it. There still needs to be a reckoning for that choice, right? Like it still might be the correct one. You know, we're replacement level morality. This is, we've positioned ourselves to say that. And I think it's correct for us to say, yes, those 500 deaths while tragic are potentially a trade-off that is acceptable when you're talking about global disease suffering. I'll grant that premise, but at the same time, all the decision makers involved with the vaccine chose to put themselves in a position where they acted like those 500 people didn't die of the vaccine, but they did. 
They really did. And that fact has come true. That has come, it has come, those chickens have come home to roost. What is the price that should be paid for that? It's like I said in the China episode. The data was there. The messaging wasn't. So I went, I went and did the math. Uh, I, I got. As you, Moderna. as you are want to, Mr. <laughs> Masters in economics. <laughs> and concluded that given my level of immunity, I got the first two shots and was, I, I drove what? 50 miles to get them. I went to Dayton. Um, would do it again. 10 out of 10. Good choice. Booster. Absolutely not worth it. You, you, you can watch the Moderna for Moderna specifically. The first shot, pretty trivial myocarditis list. Second shot. It's 20 times the first shot. And then the third is another 10 times higher than the second shot. So my advice for years for anyone with someone with like a male under 20, I'd say under 18, 20, something in that range, get them exactly one shot. That's worth it. No question. The risk is tiny, but you won't find anything, anyone messaging like that. And, and this is, this is something they've done to themselves. They, they went out there with masks where it was, we need people in aggregate to make the right choice, but people act as individuals. And when you lie to them to corral them into making the aggregate correct choice, they stop trusting you. And that's worth way more than the Delta between the choices that they were going to make. The, the sacrifice of the expert class's credibility is something I want to conclude our conversation with and what the consequences of that might be. Um, But in terms of vaccines, in terms of, this newfound calling to account of the consequences of the vaccine. Yes, I am very much of the opinion that the absolute amount of people who suffered vaccine related injuries is actually still quite low. That's something that the people who want to investigate this struggle with, right? Like there are issues that people did suffer, but really the total amount of people, when you think about the millions of people who actually got the vaccine, it's tiny. It was quite safe, all things considered. Just it, it was probably less safe than a lot of the things that get approved by the FDA, but that might be more indicative of the FDA being a little too cautious with what they approve rather than the COVID vaccine actually being unsafe. Uh, uh, I, will, what- I will refer your listener to Adumbrations of Adukadubab. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> A blog post by Scott Alexander that's just a list of stories of the FDA killing people. <laughs> but but killing people through inaction rather than through action, so they're fine with it. Like, we didn't approve this drug that would have saved someone's life. We're going to put it in the show notes so you don't have to try to Google that like I just did because it's a nightmare. But It's a nightmare uh, to pronounce. <laughs> My God in heaven. Yeah. I... You, FDA's recalcitrance aside, the the problem here to me and the reason why I think there really does need to be investigation is the expert class lied their asses off. They lied. They lied so hard. They gaslit the shit out of everyone to say that these things did not happen. 
that it was completely safe and it was going to have these wondrous effects. And they had no reason really to think that. And that's what's come out to say, really didn't have longitudinal data. We didn't know how effective it was going to be in preventing transmission. We knew it was an effective therapeutic, but that was it. And rather than be honest, they just fucking lied. They lied and lied and lied, and they made it so that anyone who questioned their lies was silenced. And there are dead people in in the world because of those lies. That's just the bottom line. They could have been truthful. They could have laid out the risk. They they could have said, if you have comorbidities, you should definitely get the vaccine. If you don't, you can probably avoid it. Here's what the situation is. Here's what we have. They could have chosen that that line. Instead, they said, everyone needs to get it. We will We will do everything within the law to force you to get it. We will guilt you and we will gaslight and we will lie so that you will get it. And there are bodies because of that. And I do think that there needs to be a reckoning as a consequence. I don't know and if it's going to outside the law. I don't know if it's going to come to anything. And, and honestly, my cynical brain tells me probably not because of the layers of protection and, and legal argumentation that's going to go into this. And, and I take no joy in this because as I said at the top, the vaccine was probably correct for most of the people who got it to get it saved millions of lives. And yet, the lies mattered. The lies had consequential effects. And I don't think that, frankly, everyone responsible for that should escape from those lies without having been called to account. And that's why I like what Ron DeSantis is doing. And I wish it was more than just him. If, if you tell someone, someone my age, uh, a male around 30, probably like borderline, like like I said, First shot, definitely. Second shot, maybe. Third shot, no. If you say, hey, your risk is pretty small either way. You're probably going to be fine if you have COVID, depending on your other situation. If you're severely obese, not as likely to be fine. If you're, if you've got whatever issues, you know, your situation is your own. The risk of the vaccine is pretty small, but real. Risk of COVID is pretty small, but real. And you let them choose, you're not morally responsible if they choose wrong. Yeah. But if you just see life as an optimization problem of how do we get most people to the right decision, regardless of their agency, that's how you end up in a spot where you lie about stuff uh, and get and get people and get people killed. Probably fewer people than would have died if you had just let let people make their own mistakes. I, I, I don't know what the, it's not. I, I, I don't know what the end like calculus looks like of if they had chosen to be truthful versus the lies that they chose to go with, and what the net result in is if, of human suffering. Right? Like they chose path A. Path A. Path A resulted in X amount of human death and Y amount of human life. I don't know what path B would have resulted in. Right. I don't know if it would have been more human suffering or less human suffering. I really don't. But I do actually think, this is honest belief on my part, that the being honest with with that information would be worth if more people died as a consequence of that information being in their hands. 
Agreed. Like if, if, if more people died because they chose not to get the vaccine because of they didn't think it was worth it as a consequence of the very truthful information provided to them, even if that judgment on their part ultimately was incorrect, that to me is still the correct outcome because the expert class deciding to incinerate all of their goodwill and all of the presumption of their public orientation matters a lot. It's so much more damage down the road. It is. And, and we're because, seeing that now. And human agency is an end into itself. We call that freedom. If you're not free to be wrong, you're not free. And just <laughs> true. Just because they got it right this time, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. It depends on who you are. Uh, they can get it very catastrophically wrong. And that's where having the 15% of people who are just going to be stubborn and contrarian, regardless of what you're telling them to do. Like you can be telling them to tie their shoes and they're like, no, screw you. You, you need those people for when the 85% is wrong. I wanted to get to why I'm happy about Ron DeSantis doing that. Like it is a little performative, but also a lot of the legal indemnities that they have are pretty like they're not ideal and you can't you and I as mere mortals are prevented legally from suing if we have a bad reaction to the vaccine. And so I'm kind of glad that a state is doing it just to kind of poke and prod and highlight the absurdity of the legal immunity. Yeah. I don't know what else you do because obviously that if it is a positive sum treatment to get, which I believe it is for 99% of people more, but you're on the hook for everyone that does die from it of myocarditis, then you probably can't even offer it, which is bad. But you could if we took human agency seriously and it was a legitimate opt-in where you like, okay, I am aware of these risks and consent to them. That's how we should. That's how it should be. Yeah. But I, I think that the focus should not be on, you know, the, the end result, which I do again, agree was net positive. It should be. What were the failures in the expert class that led us to the point where we just had all the lies and, and maybe, Maybe this investigation is it goes down that road, and maybe it doesn't, and that's what I'm going to be interested to see. But I think that's where the meat is. The meat is not should the COVID vaccine have existed. I think it should have. I think it was good that it existed, and I think most people who got it definitely were people who should have gotten it. It is okay. So who lied and where, right? And and we need to have an accounting of that. We need to have some consequences for that. Number one with a bullet to me is always going to be Dr. Fauci. Like you want to talk about a guy who really uh, abandoned his obligation to public service. It's that guy. Like he got addicted to his fame very clearly. And rather than do the right thing and communicate 
with the public in an authentic fashion that may have detracted from his universal political acceptance on the part of the media class. He chose the path of least resistance that got him, you know, biopics and 60 minute interviews and untold fame on a global scale. That's a problem. That's a real problem. That's something that can't happen. And so the, the, the guy who runs the, the organization within the federal government responsible for immunization and responding to infectious disease outbreaks needs to be above reproach when it comes to, you know, temptation for fame, you know, like they need to, they need to act above that. And he didn't. And that deserves investigation. Um, the the lack of clear communication on the approval process within the FDA. I mean, this is an untold story, yet there are public documents about how hesitant a lot of the doctors involved with those committees were about approving the COVID vaccines and boosters, and particularly for like lower age groups. Like sometimes it wasn't approved at all. And yet by them, yet it was approved by the FDA. You kept having these this situation where you can listen to these minutes of the meetings at the high level CDC and FDA where they're talking about approving them for younger and younger ages. They're very scientifically rigorous. They're they're sitting there talking about, hey, there's these risks. There's literally impossible to measure benefits. Like they kept having to redo the trials with larger sample sizes because severe COVID in children is so rare that they couldn't prove efficacy because there was no baseline to prove it. Right. Which itself was proving why it was unnecessary, right? Like the very question, the nature of the question was making it unnecessary for this to be the answer. So you'd have these like incredibly rigorous, thoughtful, nuanced, divided conversations about the science at the top level. And then they'd come to a decision with like a tie broken vote. And then everyone fell in line that we have decided. And now all of the apparatchiks will say with one voice that your 12 year old must get this vaccine. And that that's just not illustrative of the reality at all. And and it just completely ignoring and this is where it actually makes me mad right and these choices are being made with evidence in their hands that giving that 12 year old particularly if it's a boy one of these vaccines is probably more dangerous to that boy than covid itself like in terms of micromorts if you if you look the two right to go all the way back to it Micromorts for getting the vaccine, micromorts for getting COVID, the vaccine's probably more dangerous. At the very least, it's very close. And if that's the case, what the fuck are you doing? Right? Like, I get these are still on the margin. I get that in the absolute number, it's not going to be a lot of people. Either way. So why fucking do it? Like, why are you inserting it why are you insisting right like that's 
that's what I want to know. That's where I think like the, the most meat on the fucking bone is for this Ron DeSantis thing is like, why are you trying to get random companies to fire their employees if they don't comply? What the fuck is this? Right? Like at what point did you decide that it was so important to give these kids these shots? Why did you want to make it a mandate for all employers to the point where they had to sue and go before the Supreme court to tell you, no, like, even though you knew at that point that it wasn't that effective, like the, the employer mandate part. And this is kind of probably a good last topic for us to discuss. That shit was insane. It was I forgot a year that it happened. It was a year ago. Yeah. It was a year ago that happened. I was like, Oh yeah, that, that that's really something that they tried to push and the Supreme Court said no, but they knew by then that the the vaccine was not effective as a means of preventing transmission. They knew that. We all knew that. And yet, the premise of the requirement through OSHA, remember it was an OSHA rule that they were trying to use to mandate it was because it was preventative of transmission of this disease and the disease was a workplace hazard. Therefore, it could be required under OSHA regulations that everyone has to get the vaccine. That was the logic within the law. And they knew when they were pushing this, never mind the fucking court saying no, never mind the, 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 the whole legal process that went on that ultimately resulted in this being struck down and then forgotten by everybody, which was the craziest part. They knew when they put in the requirement and tried to force it, that it didn't do the thing that they were trying to say that it did in order to make it forced. What the fuck is wrong with these people that they did that. I can't square that circle. Well, part of it is that there is no they. Like, the, the the science people and the lawyers are not the same people. The lawyers are people who might not have a healthy information diet, never got the memo that it doesn't stop transmission. That's just something crazy right-wingers say, Joseph. That's, that's not real. That That's not what the science says. It's really... I guess I have a hard time accepting that. Like, did they really, I, I understand that that might've been the political choice they made, obviously. But do you, do you think, and I'm honestly asking you because I, I, I'm a little lost on this. Like, do you honestly think that, uh, they, they didn't know? I think they knew, you know, that that's what I'm saying. Like, they may have acted like that wasn't the case because that's the, the political case they wanted to make. But I think that they knew from the beginning that they were delivering a dead baby. Like this, this does not work the way that you think it does. It you depends know? on what you mean by no. Cause people can have cognitive dissonance about things for a long time and know on some intellectual level that what you're doing isn't coherent. But you don't want to think about that. Fuck. That's dark. <laughs> like, that's dark for me. It's, that's dark even for me. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying it's dark. You know, like. It, it, this is the SNL skit, though. Where, like, everyone at the table knows the stuff that they don't want to think about. That is that's, a good that point. So good. That is a good point. That SNL skit was 
was quite illuminating, but not for the reasons that I think that the writers knew. You know, what we're referencing was probably a March, April SNL skit from 2022 where it's a dinner party. It's like four people at a dinner party and they start talking about maybe if all of the things they did during COVID were perhaps not correct or necessary. And as they contemplate these, these potential revelations, their reactions to that become more and more apocalyptic, you know, from a comedic perspective of having to reckon with the fact that perhaps the entire time that they were wrong. And it's, it's illust- it's interesting because of it's te- they're telling on themselves a little bit with that, right? Like they think that they're being clever and they're like, haha, you know, this was kind of a wacky circumstance we got them- ourselves into. But it's also saying you knew this the whole time. And now the the premise of the joke is it's you and your friends who are kind of within the same social and economic circle, and you're finally giving voice to the things that you yourself knew the entire time. And it's distressing everyone as everyone is sort of recognizing these facts because you knew it already. That's a good point. Maybe they knew, but they didn't want to admit that they knew. Your job is... It's yeah. it's very difficult to get someone to understand something when their salary depends on them not understanding it. You're a lawyer for the CDC trying to impose this rule. You're just going to make the arguments that you can make, and you're not going to let yourself dwell too much on what if the science isn't actually here. Your boss is a Democrat. You're a Democrat. You You know the science is on your side, man. Come on. The science says. that's That's been the whole thing for two years was – the people were ignoring the science, the stupid, the stupid COVIDians. The science. I swear to God, Andrew, if I ever hear the phrase the science again in the entirety of my adult life, it will be too goddamn soon. <laughs> the what if it's ironic? I mean, in, if done for comedy slash irony reasons, I'll give it a pass, but. For any other reason, the science cultism as akin to religion as religion itself. Oh, I'm off it. I'm super off it, man. Like masks, vaccine, like every time it was pointed out that there was a problem with the quote, the science it was like you were you were directly hitting a fucking wasp nest with a baseball bat. It was awful. And the median Republican on Twitter did not help with this. Because before Elon, the median Republican on Twitter was real dumb. The, the dumb version of all of this is really, really dumb. Yeah, unfortunately. So if that's all you encounter, you're like, oh, well, my side is all the doctors and science people. And their side is all the dummies that I read when I click show more on Twitter. <laughs> Clearly, we're right. Yeah, but there's a smart version, too. And you have to, as a matter of good intellectual hygiene, engage with your opponent's best arguments. And that's really where the rubber has met the road here at the end, which is 
the expert class has indicted themselves as unworthy of the description as the expert class. Because all of the arguments that we've talked about this evening in, in regards to skepticism about vaccines, about masks, about COVID's severity, all turned out to be true. All of the stupid quote unquote takes had an element of truth to them that were was much larger than anyone within the quote unquote expert class wanted to admit. And because of that, the damage to the quote unquote expert class is catastrophic to the point where you've got people investigating the vaccine's origins as a way to make political capital for themselves. And they're likely to succeed in that effort because even if a lot of people are a little agnostic as to the effort, there's a broad understanding that perhaps we have been lied to a lot like that. That is just, that is baked in now left, right and center. Like everyone knows like this did not go well. Right. Like we, we mistakes were made. People need to be called to account. The problem, of course, is because our social political circumstances are so bifurcated across left, right. Ron DeSantis going out there and trying to investigate the stuff isn't going to really have a lot of purchase with the people who really don't want Ron DeSantis necessarily to be president, even if right now he's doing something that they kind of sort of agree with. So that's always going to be part of it. But. Yeah, the expert class torched their credibility, just blew it up. And every single stupid person, air quotes, that they insulted over the course of that, like vaccine skepticism, I can't really talk shit about it anymore. You know, I want to. I think vaccines are great, but at the same time, I'm like, well, you got a fucking solid W on this one, boys. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah, this one got pushed on you. Yeah, they lied to you. Yeah, there were consequences for getting this that they just didn't want you to know about. How do you, like, yeah, that all happened. That all happened in front of all of us. A lot of what you're saying is media experts in quotes. You can find a PhD that'll tell you whatever you want to hear for your Washington Post story, Taylor. Uh, <laughs> take, take a shot those out, out there playing the drinking game. <laughs> Yeah, if we ever mention Taylor Lorenz, you have to finish the drink. <laughs> but there were also, like I said, the, the the numbers, the meeting of the experts where they're having serious serious scientific conversations with nuance and thoughtfulness. There were the numbers that I used to do the math about exactly how dangerous COVID was given my vaccination status and given all like. The numbers are there. A lot of the scientists are doing good science. A lot of what you're saying is a media issue. Not all of it. Not all of it. But a lot of it's media. It's media, and it, but it's also the expert class that chose to become media personalities. Like, I'm thinking of not just Fauci, but like Liana Wynn, for example. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of people in that tier that take on the aegis of expert that the clown themselves as a consequence of the choices they made in that regard. 
Leanna Wen is a, a particularly egregious example, I think, because she went from people who don't get the COVID vaccine should be locked in their homes until they until they get it, and perhaps they should be forced to get it. To my kids shouldn't have to wear masks in school, right? Like she went all the way around the bend, right? And it's because life comes at you fast. Yeah, like she was a media personality, so her her position changed with whatever it is that the media company that she ultimately is really working for wanted to put out there, right? Like, yes, I know she's a physician at GW, my alma mater, but in reality, she was mirroring the things that CNN wanted to say at all times. Yeah, That's her fucking fault for putting herself in the position where she did that, right? Yeah. And she decided to mortgage all of her credibility as an MD and as a as a would be expert, and now she has to reap all the consequences that come with this clear, weird, you know, spot that uh, she's in, where there's all of this this game tape on her saying all kinds of shit that was wrong and not acknowledging it at all. Yeah, it was a, it was not a good couple of years for the uh, masters of public health degree. The kind of person who's going to get a master's in public health is like, okay, what tweak can I make to get people to make the decision that I want them to? But if you sudden, which is like good nutrition labels, all for it. Like there's, there's a lot of good that can come from that. But that mindset is not a good mindset to just turn over the keys to the kingdom to. They're not going to have the respect for individual agency that. <laughs> Those guys should maybe not run society is what yeah. you're saying. Like maybe not these dudes should run all of society. Maybe they should influence it. Um, but somebody who has a broader perspective should perhaps uh, hold those keys. Last thing I want to leave on lab leak theory. I believe the lab leak has gone from quote fringe conspiracy theory end quote that could get you banned from social media for even repeating to the dominantly likely scenario for the origin of COVID as yeah, we presently like, understand it. I'm at like 80% personally. Yeah. Like still some possibility that it was some other circumstance, but as time goes on, it has only become more likely that the lab leak is what caused it specifically that it could have been a lab leak that first showed up because of the world military games that happened in Wuhan in November of 2019. I understand why the U.S. government may not want to look too closely at the lab leak simply because the Wuhan Institute of Virology was probably investigating respiratory illnesses in bats because of funding they received via the U.S. through proxies. And that's a dirty kind of world to get into and you don't necessarily want a lot of focus on that. But why the hell are there not more blood-sucking journalists trying to find every aspect of the story they could possibly harvest because this is the biggest thing that's going to have happened in the history of everyone who's presently alive up to this point. So you're, you're hopefully like your, your, your point about uh, something worse happening in the future, granted, but right now this is the biggest thing that's ever happened. 
And it's like Vanity Fair is the one magazine that's like out in front doing big think pieces and 5,000 word essays of the lab link theory. Why the hell is not every single media organization on the planet covering this? Uh, I believe we recorded an episode called Why the, When the Institutions Fail about the decline of journalism. I believe we did. Uh, I would refer, dear listener, to that episode about how the spirit of Watergate of whatever the power is, we're going to be the fourth estate in uh, keeping keeping them honest. That That's not a thing anymore. Sorry. I guess like, even that explanation doesn't quite satisfy me because it's the Chinese government is not beloved by anybody. Nobody fucking likes these guys, right? Like left, right, center. Aside from the hardcore tankies out there, nobody wants China to succeed. Like taking taking pot shots at China, pointing out their mistakes, their malfeasance. That has a market across partisan lines, and yet oh, no one seems to want to take it up. But what what would you do if it was true? Like. That's the kind of thing that you're supposed to start a war over, right? Like the job number one of a state is to keep its citizens alive. You can't let China kill billions of them if you if you know it was them. So the last thing you want to do is to know it was them because they, they have nukes. We don't want to go to war with them. Oh, I have no delusions that any real action would be taken by a state actor in regards to this. Like I said. Because China will immediately, if it became so undeniable, would would paint the U.S. as just as responsible because it's their money and their initiative that the they were investigating on their behalf. Right. And that's the part that they really don't want to get into. But the media has infinite upside for exposing all of this. It's like in the public interest of everyone to know if that's what happened. And they're literally designed to go after that. And I think you're right in that the reason they don't is they value their close relationship with the powers that be within the U.S. government so much that they know what is going to happen if they do investigate it. And so they don't. And that's why the one outfit that has is something like Vanity Fair, who isn't really a Washington like inside baseball player. They're they're a lifestyle magazine. It's why it's so wild that they're the ones that are doing the best journalism when it comes to the lab leak theory. It's because they have the least amount to lose. If you're NBC News, if you're CNN, if you're Fox News, I guess it makes sense that you don't want to go after the lab leak theory because you're going to implicate the people who are your sources if you do so. That's That's fun. That's sad. (laughs) What a sad note to end this podcast on. You wanted to talk about COVID. There's not a lot happy about that there. Thank you for listening to Replacing Level Morality. We'll see you next week. <laughs>